In just a minute, we'll read Luke chapter 2. How many of you, this, this ever happened to you? We'll ask it this way first. How many of you were ever left by your parents somewhere, not purposefully, okay, they weren't trying to ditch you, but how many of you, you, you were ever left by your parents because one parent thought that the other parent had you? How many of you were ever left by your, wow, a whole host. How many of you were parents who were just trying to get rid of you? Let's be honest here and... Okay, so a few of you as well. Okay, so, you know, it's, it's really kind of sort of, okay, how many of you are parents and you've actually left your children? You thought the other one had them, they thought you had them. How many of you have ever had that happen? You raise your hands if you're parents who have, okay, several. And how many of you were just trying to get rid of your children? Okay, good, some of you as well. All right, so, so you have these scenarios where you think that the other person has the kids and, and then you both show up at home. And sometimes it's a while before you actually figure out that the kids are not there. It's like blissfully quiet. And it's like, wow, wow, I just, I love home. I love, ah, where are the children? You know, that kind of experience. And so, so you say, hey, where, did you get the kids? Well, I didn't get the kids. I thought you were getting, I didn't get the, ah, you know, so there's this, this mad rush to go find the forsaken children. Well, there's some, you know, there's some unrest that takes place and obviously, you know, some panic and our Bibles are open right now to Luke chapter two. So let's just pick up the, the, the story, the narrative in verse number 41. Jesus at this point in his earthly life was 12 years old. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. Okay, so pause here for just a moment. Um, Joseph and Mary are not delinquent parents, okay? They're not these parents like, how in the world can you not know? There, there is this wonderful communal aspect to their existence. So these are children that would be together and parents. And as they, they go, they know that there is some sense of, okay, we, we know where the kids are. We know everyone is, th- this is not just parents being, being um, um, an example of poor parenting. So look a little bit further, verse number 44, but they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey and they sought him among their kinfolk and acquaintance. Okay, well, they're with family. He's, he's with cousins. He's with, he's with family, their kinfolk and, and with the people that they knew. Of course, Jesus, who is always where he's supposed to be, when he's supposed to be there. This is not a, a child that's like, where's Jesus now? So again, let's read a little bit further. Verse number 45. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem seeking him. Verse 46. And it came to pass that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. After three days. Well, you can imagine the level of panic. I mean, have you, ever, have you ever been so nervous about your child and their whereabouts? Have you ever heard parents who lose the sense of embarrassment because their child's missing? 
And, and it may be just in the neighborhood, but at that point, you're, you're not caring about what someone else thinks. And you start to call out your child's name and you do so with this abandon because you're not worried. It may start out with, you know, um, Billy, Billy, but, but you get to a point where the tension begins to rise and the unease and the fear. And I mean, you're shouting a name because that child's missing. It's been three days. So there is tension. I, I think maybe they come to the point where they wonder if the child has in some way, shape or form been abducted. And now after three days of searching, you, you may wonder, will we ever see him again? Okay, so let's continue on with the story. Um, verse number 46, and it came to pass after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking questions in the midst of. It's almost, you get this mental picture that Jesus is, is seated and he is surrounded like the, 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 the teachers, the leaders, the rulers of the day have surrounded this 12-year-old and they're engaged in deep conversation. The doctors, the learned of the day, and they're having conversation with a 12-year-old. Verse 47, and all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. Jesus is not only asking, but he is responding. Verse 48, and all that saw him were amazed and his mother, um, and when they saw him, they were amazed and his mother said unto him, son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, how is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not, or didn't you know? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business. And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. This passage that we've just looked at, it records for us the first recorded words of Jesus. So when we start to consider the, the communication and the means by which he communicated. Well, you know, the Bible records in the gospels that if everything that he said and all the miracles and everything that he did, that the, that the world couldn't contain the scrolls, but, but it does contain things that it knew we needed. And so the Bible records for us those first uttered words, the first uttered recorded words of Jesus. And these are it. Um, his mother says, what have you done to us? We've sought you sorrowing. We, we thought something terrible happened to you. Why are you, why are you treating us like this? And, and we can't hear tone. We can't hear the, the nuance of the human language, the voice that gives further context. But I can't help to, in my own mind, put some context to the tone in Jesus' voice. And it wasn't this this rebellious tone. It wasn't this attitude that he gives. It's, it's this, oh, mother, mom, didn't you know that, that I would be working about my father's business? 
And then it says he returned with them and he was subject to them. And then it goes on and it says, and he increased, he, he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. There's a little expression that Jesus uses in these first recorded words. And the little expression is, I must. Wished you not? Didn't you know? I, I must be. I can't not do this. I'm not being forced to do this. There's no arm twisting. This this is not something that I've been coerced into doing. I'm I'm not being manipulated. I'm not being blackmailed. But there is something that I, I, mom, there's something I have to do. I don't know if you have circumstances in your life that you could draw some kind of a meager parallel. But there are some things that we say, "I, I have to do this. How could I not do this? How couldn't I offer this? How couldn't I? I mean, I have to. I feel so, so compelled. There's no gun at my back, so to speak. There, there's nobody that is compelling me. It's just that this is my father. How could I not do that business that belongs to me as the child of the father? And what Jesus is saying, I have to be about my father's business. This is the idea that the Apostle Paul shares. It's, it's a similar, although certainly Jesus stands in a very unique position regarding his father's business. We're about to observe this tonight, to remember the, the business that the father had sent the, the son to this very earth to accomplish. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 9, 16. He says, for though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. The apostle Paul is saying, listen, what else can I do? And he's not saying, he's, he's not saying that, oh, I, I have to do this. It's not like some, some project that if I don't do the project, I'm gonna get a bad grade. It's not like some work task. Like if I don't do this, my supervisor's gonna get on me. It's not even like some family thing. Like, well, if I don't cook dinner, nobody's gonna have. There's, there's not this idea of I have to. The apostle Paul said, woe on me. Uh, necessity is laid on me. I, I can't do anything else but preach the gospel. I, I have to. This is the idea that we see from a a 12-year-old. I mean, this is a kid. He's 12 years old. But at this age and stage of life, Jesus understands there is something for which I am given. And there, there is nothing that will keep me back from my father's business. When he first utters these words as a 12-year-old, there's something, I don't know, can you picture the, 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 the wonder on a 12-year-old's face? Mom, mom, didn't you know? Do, do, do you not yet perceive? Has it not yet dawned upon you that, that I must be about my father's business? And, and maybe some anticipation or some sense of glow. And, and there's something about a 12-year-old's wonder that seems to protrude, at least in my mind, from the face and the life of Jesus. This is the first Passover that we, we understand, we have recorded regarding the life of Jesus. 
But let's fast forward to another Passover. We've recorded the first Passover that scriptures left for us. And now let's fast forward. So we, we go to another Passover and in John chapter 19, verse number 30, the Bible records this for us. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. This is, this is a Passover 21 years after that first recorded one. And now this is the last recorded one about the life of Jesus. So at 12, didn't you know I was going to be about my father's business? And, and all of the, the I don't know, the, the wonder of a 12-year-old, humanly speaking, he's, he's, he's fully human, fully man, as, as if not God, and fully God as if not man. And now, what's the look on the face that you see 21 years later? At that, at that last recorded Passover in the life of Jesus. So now he hangs upon a cross. His face is, is covered, his hair matted in blood. His, his flesh hangs like ribbons from his body. And the, the sound of his voice, though raspy and broken, is very purposeful. It's very clear. There's nothing uncertain about it. He now utters words and he says with a power and almost a sense of victory. It is finished. What is it that is finished? Well, the business that he had come to accomplish. Didn't you know I must be about my father's business. We, we fast forward from the Passover when he was 12 to the Passover 21 years later. The night before, Jesus knowing what's before him at the Passover. John 17, verse number four, his, his prayer, I have glorified thee on the earth. Listen to this. John 17, 4, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. The work which thou gavest me to do. This helps us understand that Jesus knew his purpose, his work, that which I have taken on. No man taketh it from me, his life. I lay this down willingly. The work that the Father gave me to do, I've glorified him on the earth. In other words, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. That's the idea of glory. Like I look at him and, and I see him. One is the same as the other. No one has more perfectly accomplished that. You and I, we're image bearers. We bear the image of God, but Jesus is the express image of God. To have seen him is to see the Father. I've glorified thee on the earth. And then what beautiful words. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. 
And there was one task that was yet left for him to fulfill. Paul understood that he too was given a purpose that was uniquely his. No one else could have accomplished the work that Jesus came to accomplish. I I hope we're all clear on that. No one else could have died. No one else's blood could have been shed. It was the, of necessity, the blood of the spotless lamb, Jesus. I was thinking about it tonight, even as we sang. We, we sang these songs that, that maybe an outsider, a person who doesn't yet know, what, what is this all about? Here's us singing about the blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Sinners plunge beneath that flow, lose all their guilty stains. Man, just it, it, with no context, we're, we're, we're painting this picture that is quite a picture. But it is the blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. And Christ's shed blood, this was his to do. Uh, didn't you know I, I must be about my father's business? And, and that business he did. And he finished the business. Well, what about you? The Apostle Paul says in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, he says, but none of these things move me. He's talking about all of the the challenges, all the difficulties, all the opposition, all the hardship. I mean, difficulty after difficulty, and he just unfolds for us like, oh, wow, what challenge that lay before him. But here's what the Apostle Paul, this is like a summary statement, but none of these things move me. Neither count I my life as dear unto myself so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Do you know what the Apostle Paul's saying? He's saying, hey, listen, I know there's challenges that are connected with this, but necessity is laid upon me. Woe if I preach not the gospel. None of these things, all the challenges, difficulties, hardships, opposition, all of it, none of these things move me. To the point, neither count I my life. I don't even count my life as dear unto myself. Well, why not, Paul? Well, neither count I my life as dear unto myself because of the ministry which I have received to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Do you see when Paul lays it, weighs it all in the balances, he says, I, I have a ministry. I have work to do. And my life does not weigh more heavily than the father's business. Isn't it interesting how we oftentimes weigh those things in the balance? Like, well, well you know, th- this is my life. This is my future. These are my plans. These are my dreams. This is what I want to do. I've studied my whole life. I've been preparing my whole life. I've, I've worked my whole life for. But when Paul starts to, to put everything in the balances, he says, woe unto me. I, I can't do anything else than what God has tasked me to do. So all of the challenge, all the difficulties, none of those things move me to the point that I don't even count my life as dear to myself so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry that I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. He starts making this really personal. He says, my ministry, the, the, the ministry that I have received, 
He's saying, I, I know it's, it's different than yours. Yours might look different than mine and, and mine different than theirs and, and theirs different from, but he says all of us really in essence what he's helping us understand. Jesus received, he had business work to do and Jesus said, okay, didn't you know, mom, I, I must be about my father's business. I, I have work to do. The night cometh when, when nobody can work. So let's work while we can and do the work that God's given us to do. And Paul gets to the same place. He says, I, I have a ministry. This is my lane to run in, my race to run. You and I also have been tasked with work to accomplish. We have a job to do. I, I don't know what yours is and I would, I would be somewhat foolish. I know you're called to glorify God, to be a representative of him, to allow that imprint of him. The fact that his image is in me and, and, and his likeness is supposed to be continually refined, more clearly seen in me. So I know that you have that to do, but what that looks like, I don't know. I, I'd be somewhat foolish to, to try to define that. Some of you are, are well into the, the work that your father's given you to do. You're well into it. You work in business in the community. Some of you are retired. Some of you are in, in the early stages of that and, and, and your, your careers are opening before you. Some of you are in the preparatory time. You're training for that and you're, you're dreaming about, yeah, I'm, I'm in mechanical engineering and and I'm in the medical field, or I'm in accounting, or I'm in computer sciences, or I mean, you, know, you can go on and on and on. Do, do you know, it is entirely reasonable to think that God would, would task a variety of people in such a variety of different opportunities before us. But all of that should be connected, I mean, the first connection, all of it should be connected to my father's business. Like this is the family business and I'm his child and he has tasked me the ministry that I have received of the Lord Jesus to in this unique place for this unique time to do the work that God has given for me to do. Hebrews 12, 1, wherefore seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Run with patience the race that's set. This is my race. I'm, I'm not trying to run yours and you shouldn't try to run mine. And certainly we're not trying to run the race of Jesus. That was his to run. We're not trying to run the race of Paul. That was his to run. The apostle Peter got a little a little sidetracked. He started to look at someone else's race. It was, it was after the resurrection of Christ and, and just before his ascension. And Jesus had, in a sense, restored Peter to the work, his father's business. He said, okay, uh, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I do. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep, feed my lambs. So he's saying, okay, you've got work to do, Peter. And then Peter turns and he looks at John, who's there. And notice what he says. He says, then Peter turning about in John 21, 20 and 22. Then Peter turning about, seeth the, the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? 
Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Peter's right there, and, and the Lord said, Peter, go feed my sheep. You've got work to do. I've got a job for you. Okay, Lord, I will. And uh, Jesus, what about him? What, what about this man? And Jesus just cuts it off. He says, Peter, this is what he says. Jesus said unto him, if I will, if I desire that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Peter, if, if I desire for John to live until I return, that's really not, this is what he said. He says, that's none of your business. Keep your eyes fixed on me, Peter. Follow thou me. You have a job to do. I'm the one who is tasking you to do it, Peter. Don't worry about John's race. Follow thou me. Do you know Jesus understood from his first recorded words, I have work to do. In John chapter 4, verse 34, Jesus saith unto them, my meat, my very sustenance, the thing that, the thing that fuels me, energizes me, nourishes me, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Jesus is just saying, I have a job to do and that is what keeps me going. Do you know when you and I start to come to a place where we understand not only the work that Jesus accomplished that we're gonna celebrate tonight. When we get to the place where we, we understand not only did Jesus have business to accomplish, but he has also tasked us with the same. He's given us work to do, something to accomplish, something that gives us meaning, significance, that we get to the place where we say, oh, wow, necessity is laid on me. If I don't do what he has built me to do, tasked me with doing and do the work and run the race and engage in the plan that he has given to me personally. Woe unto me if I don't do the business of my father that he has given me to do. So what's he given you to do? I suspect it's different than, than the person next to you or around you. I suspect that what he's given me to do is not the same that he's given you and you, me. But he does have something for us to do. And may, in the example of Jesus, may we all be about our Father's business.